Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. And this week, I want to thank Tony for becoming our latest subscriber on Patreon. If you join us on Patreon or become a regular donor through PayPal, you will get two bonus episodes every month, a handwritten thank you note in the mail, quarterly meetups, all sorts of benefits, plus the satisfaction of knowing that you kept an independent art project going. If you love this show, support it. There are links in the show notes or visit thebittersweetlife.net and you'll find ways there. We're just getting started with our Summer Rome series. And I should mention as an added perk that regular donors to The Bittersweet Life got to arrive in Rome first. They've already heard two episodes more than those of you who have not yet decided to take the plunge. Don't be afraid. For as little as $5 a month, you can support the show and get all this great bonus content. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And we are sitting where? We are sitting on the steps of a church called San Francesco Arriba, and it's in Trastevere. It's less than a block away from the apartment where I lived last in Trastevere before moving to the outskirts of Rome. And yeah, we came here to visit the actual cell where the St. Francis stayed in Rome when he came here in the early 1200s seeking recognition of the order of the Franciscans. Right, so we went in here hoping to see the cell. Actually, we just basically sat on the steps to talk about some other things, just to get caught up since I'm rarely in Rome. And then we were like, well, let's go in and see if we can see the cell. Got invited in by some guy. Yeah, I, I, I thought that he was dressed like a normal person. Uh, he was an older man. Apparently, he, you know, he works for the church because he let us into the, um, I don't know where that area is called, where the priests change their clothes, but you know what I'm talking about, with all the dark brown wood. And the, the like the cassocks hanging up, sacristy. I want to Sa- say. Yeah, I think it's sacristy. Yeah, and uh, Katie was about to ring the bell, <laughs> the church bell. I the, thought it would the get- bell that you ring when mass starts. <laughs> I was like, don't ring that. <laughs> I wouldn't really have rung it, but okay. And we went in actually because the door we found was closed but unlocked. So we actually walked in. Nobody was there. We were walking back out when someone asked if he could help us, and it was this man, this lovely man, who um, who took us in and knew where the keys were and let us up. And started telling history to us. Yeah, and as a person who doesn't understand Italian, I'm picking up little words here and there, but, you know, I mean, it felt like he talked to us for 15 years. It did. It (laughs) felt like that to me, too. Because I was like, you know when you're in a situation where you could interpret, you're waiting for, like, your chance, you're waiting for, like, the pause where you stop and you interpret for the person you're with who doesn't speak the language, but the pause never came, and I kept being like, okay, how am I going to remember all this to translate, to interpret it to Katie? And I finally just gave up, and I didn't even try. And see, I couldn't tell, is he, what he's saying important? Is he just listing dates? What exactly? We'll, we'll walk, because you need to get home to feed Aurelio dinner, but I figured we'd start here. We'll walk, but maybe you could tell us the history of what in the world he was talking about. Sure. So, let's first say, though, we did get to go into a cell do you want to try to describe what it was that we saw well why don't you describe it since i've been there before and it's more fresh for you okay here's what i don't know would it be helpful to know the history he said since i don't know what he said prior to describing what it is that we saw not really okay so 
we were led up a narrow staircase that does overlook a courtyard, not a very remarkable courtyard, I don't think. Very, very narrow staircase into a slender room that looks like it had humble beginnings at one point, but at, they have since put in a giant altar, angels floating at the top, uh, four paintings, I feel, maybe five paintings, one of Mary, one of an angel, and then, of course, the man of the hour, St. Francis, in the middle. Uh, I feel like there's a party going on the steps of this church These right people now. are jazzed about St. Francis. <laughs> They actually are dressed like they're going to a nightclub, so I'm not sure exactly what's happening. Um, but anyway, so, and then and then through a grating, which I'm sure Tiffany will post on our social media, you were able to see the actual rock where St. Francis, when he came to Rome, laid his head. Now, maybe you can tell me why he wasn't offered any kind of a, anything to put his head on besides a rock. Like why he <laughs> has to lay in this little narrow room inside an established building, but still lay on a rock. Perhaps you can tell me that. But that's what we got to see, the rock, the cell that he actually slept in in Rome uh, because he was a real person. And that's part of the fun of coming to Rome is finding out that all these mythical saints, seeming saints, are real people. Yes, so why don't we start to walk and you can tell me what you remember of the <laughs> dissertation that was given to you by that random guy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I should mention that he wasn't totally random. He did have keys to where the cell was and he well, he got them off of a, a hook he actually. got them off of a hook but the priest did not get him alarmed no, no. He <laughs> and he also lit up the relics there's like a glass case with a whole bunch of very ornate reliquaries and he lit them up and explained that one of them was saint francis's blood and one was a piece of his clothing right so he seems legit so so um so one of the things that he talked about was that saint francis and this is pretty pretty common knowledge. Most people know this if they know their Catholic history. St. Francis came from a very wealthy family. His father was the only successful cloth maker in all of Assisi. And he sold his fabrics as far as France, which is huge, really. And he explained a little bit about how... Does this bother you that I hold your no, arm? I'm no, holding your good. arm. <laughs> Tiffany's trying to keep me from also being run over <laughs> by cars while she's telling me the story. We are actually let's, moving up the street. Actually, let's, I, I just let us somewhere where we can't fit between two cars. Okay. So he, you know, travel was, he, he, he impressed upon us, on me anyways, that travel was extremely difficult and rare back in his time. And we are talking late 1100s. So almost 1200 uh, and you know this was a time in which people didn't have access to travel it was not just expensive and slow but dangerous and so it was very rare that someone from a smallish Italian town would sell his fabric as far away as France so this is basically to say that St. Francis's father was very wealthy. He was a, well, a wealthy but a self-made man. And St. Francis, of course, rejects all this. You know, he decides that he wants a life. He, he, he believes in the vow of poverty. He believes that any man of God should be, should be poor, should renounce worldly goods and, and this and that. And he, he offends his father. He betrays his father. In, in his father's eyes, he's betrayed by his son because his son rejects all of the wealth and privilege and um, material things that his father has worked so hard to give him. And uh, eventually, in his 
it's not clear exactly what age, um, at least from what I understood from this man, but somewhere around age 20 or a little bit before, St. Francis gets arrested in Perugia. Now, I tried to ask what he was arrested for, but I couldn't get a straight answer out of him or I didn't understand it. So I'm gonna have to look that up, but it seems to be not a, a religious question, but about more about um, these little rivalries between the small Italian towns that were so common back in those days, because of course, Italy was not a united country until the 1800s. So these small little feudal towns were often at war with each other. And so he said that, you know, it was a seasy, it was always the closest town to you, right? Whatever was the small town about your, the size of your town nearest to you, those were your mortal enemies. <laughs> right, of course, that, that stands true today with our rival sports teams, right? Yeah. Who, who's in your closest division are the people you hate the most. Yeah, and Red Sox versus Yankees. And I mean, I remember when I spent a summer in Lucca and this is a little bit of an aside, but Italy was in the World Cup, and every time they won a game, all of the kids, the young people in Luca, kept saying, basically, vaffanculo Pisa. And I was like, what does Pisa have to do with this? They were playing against Cameroon or whatever. And they're like, no, it's because Pisa is our rival. They're our deadly, deadly rival. So even if all of Italy wins, we still say F.U. Pisa. So it's the same thing. So somehow he gets arrested by the Perugians. He spends, I think, two years, he said, in prison. And he said that when he, that the only reason he gets out of prison is because his mother pays to get him out because they have money and brings him home. But what was interesting was she had to hide him in like a Harry Potter style covered under the stairs <laughs> because his father didn't want to know anything about him. Mm. His father was, you know, had turned against him. This is what he was talking about. Pause, by the way. He said right here where the 44 and the 75 bus stop is, which is basically right here. But I couldn't figure out what he was talking about. I got the location. Something to do with Benedictine priests and monks who were here when St. Francis first comes to Rome. This is where he comes. He comes here. We're standing on Via Morosini, right by the Regina Margherita Hospital, where there's also the Church of San Cosimato. But apparently there was a Benedictine monastery here. That he, This is where he came. And then they sent him to where we were, Piazza San Francesco d'Assisi, which is where they, the same monks had a hospital and a very, very small church dedicated to San Biagio, who was the protector of sick people. And in this very small hospital, or in this hospital attached to this very small church, that is where they put St. Francis up with three other monks that he had traveled here with. So I asked, was this a hospital room? And he said, no, it wasn't exactly a hospital room, but it was a room inside the hospital. It was part of the hospital. So I wanted to mention that. But to get back to the story of him getting out of prison, basically he, um, he gets out of prison. His mother takes him, hides him in the cupboard under the stairs. And he was very clear about this point. He said it over and over again. He was so sick from being in prison in horrible conditions. She sa he said the cold, not only was he underfed, but he was probably used to that because monks traditionally fast and are used to not eating a lot. But um, he said that his bones were like so damaged because of being in this cold, dark place, being completely unmoving, not being able to move or get exercise or be in sunlight for so long 
that he was so emaciated and so sick that he couldn't even feed himself and his mother had to spoon feed him and she spoon fed him in secret for a year and a half that's how long it took for him to get his strength back before he could finally come to Rome and his father this whole year and a half didn't catch a wind of anything as far as we know I, that's, I didn't ask that particular question She's like, I've created a small office for myself underneath the stairs. I mean, you know, it could, I'm, let's use our imaginations. It could be that this wealthy businessman was not at home very much. You know, it could be that, uh, you know, and back in those days, of course, you know, you have your chamber pot. You don't uh, have like, it's not like he was going to the bathroom and down the hall. He was just using the chamber pot. She might have been giving him sponge baths. You know, it's very possible that she could have contained him in this small space, especially if their home was very large and um, they had a lot of space. Like it. Now, did you ask, yeah, lead me to your car, because we are also trying to get you home for supper. Did you ask him why when the monks sent him to, so he ends, okay, so he recuperates, he ends up in Rome. Yes. Did you ask him, I, I'm kind of jumping the story here, I feel, but like, did you ask him why when the monks sent him over to stay in the hus- this hospital room that's not a hospital room? Why did he have to use a rock as a pillow? Is that just because it makes for a better story of a humble man? I I didn't ask. I didn't think to ask why did he use a stone? The only thing I can think of, and this is just me, you know, drawing the lines together, is that, you know, his San Francisco's St. Francis's whole thing was humility. And it was, you know, giving up your worldly possessions, living as a poor person, dressing as a poor person, wearing a, you know, an old brown cassock, an old brown sack, basically, and, uh, and being humble and being penitent and, you know, begging for food and not having any possessions of your own, humbling and even humiliating yourself before God. And so the only thing I can think is that that would be the, uh, the extreme expression of that uh, would be to, you know, sacrifice your own comfort to, uh, I mean, it's the same reason that priests wear hair shirts, right? It's to have that constant reminder, that uncomfortable reminder uh, of God. So maybe it was the same sort of thing. Don't let yourself get too comfortable. Very interesting. So did he tell you why he comes to Rome? Does he come to Rome, like after he's healed, his bones hopefully are in better condition. He comes to Rome, which, I mean, from I, I'm trying to remember. It's been a long time since I've been to Assisi, but um, in modern day travel, isn't Assisi like 40 minutes or four hours by train or something like that? I don't know how far it is. I don't think it's four. I mean, you have to get to Florence first, so maybe by the time you get to Florence and then get on a slow train, it might be near that. But he comes to Rome because if you want to found uh, an official order of the Catholic Church, you have to get the permission from the Pope. You have to have it sanctioned by the Pope. You can't just say, okay, this is a Catholic order that I've invented and it's named after me. No, the Pope has to be okay with it. And uh, he, he did say that by the time he comes to Rome, which he told me the date was not completely certain, but sometime around the year 1200, um, he, he said that... You know, his way of living, his way of interpreting the scriptures and the way of trying to live like, you know, this humble life was very popular. And also consider that back in those days, like the pre, and I mean, and even long after St. Francis, uh, priests were 
very much political players. Uh, you, you, would, you would become a priest, particularly if you were from a, a wealthy family, as a political move. It was, it was, it was very much a profession and, and uh, you were seen more as a politician than as a priest. And a lot of the, you know, the high-ranking priests, most of them, and always the popes, came from these very wealthy families, wealthy, powerful families. And St. Francis is like, hey, this, this it can't be the, the right way. Um, you know, Christ taught that we should be humble, that we should be poor, that we should reject wealth. So how is it that the people running the church are all the richest people? It doesn't make any sense. And so this was what he was all about. And so clearly it was popular, especially with the rent, you know, with the ordinary people who were, you know, subjugated by the rich, even the religious rich. So he got a lot of followers and apparently he, I guess, decides time to make this official. And so he goes to Rome to have the Pope's blessing on his order, which he eventually gets. And I can't remember which Pope it is. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'll have to look that up. We will forgive you. But do you think, just from your historical knowledge, not having looked at this and only talked to some random guy at one place, do you think that the Pope in part recognized his order because he was from a wealthy family? That's a good question. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Um, But something tells me that St. Francis would not have worked that angle, you know? (laughs) So, I don't know. That's a good question. And do you have any idea? I believe I've been to Assisi a couple times. And, of course, isn't the Assisi where the manger scene, the Persepe, comes from? That's where it originates? Yes, it, it does. I, I don't know if St. Fr- Francis himself is the one who comes up with this idea of creating a nativity scene. But I do think it does come from Assisi. Yeah, I don't know. As I always thought, if that was one thing that he also came up with, and he did a lot for that town, not to mention the the Catholic and, and ultimately, really, the Christian religion. True. When it comes to Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Well, we want to do a larger show um, at some point about Catholicism and Catholic icons, just because, I mean, this is the city to do it. This is the heart of the Catholic Church, whether you love it or not. It is interesting uh, it has all sorts of its traces here. And so uh, we'll be getting to that eventually, I suppose. We probably won't be doing it in that show because we've got to be getting close to your car now, right? The car's right there. There it is. This is not the new car, by the way. Tiffany got a new car recently. Yes, but I don't know how to drive it. <laughs> it has a stick shift. I, ca- I, I learned how to drive a stick shift. In Italy, you have to be able to drive a stick shift to, to get your driver's license. You have to take your exam with a stick shift car. But that was in 2017 and I have since forgotten because my car is automatic. It's like one of the two automatic cars in all of Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would also, that's another episode that we're planning to record while I'm here is uh, since Derek and I road tripped from Germany to Italy, we're gonna talk a little bit about the realities of what it means to road trip across Europe. And a lot of that reality has to do with driving in Italy or driving in Rome. Uh, at least for us, which is not for the faint of heart. So we will get to that uh, next time. But until then, I guess we should leave it. We're here at your car. Which one is it? This one? It's not the Mercedes. It's not the Mercedes? (laughs) Is that because you're a podcaster and a writer? Yes. Yeah. So sign up on Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if get Tiffany her Mercedes no, is no. real. I'm fine. I'm fine with my Opel. Um, absolutely fine with it. But that doesn't mean you don't have to join us on Patreon. Yeah, you do. If you want this show to continue, we do count on your support. 
And I guess until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. The Bittersweet Life is created and produced by me, Katie Sewell. My co-host is Tiffany Parks. If you're traveling to Rome this summer, set up a tour with Tiffany by writing to bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. Our intern this summer is Allison Kramer. We will be hitting the streets of Rome on the podcast all summer long, so if you know anyone who loves Italy, tell them about the show and recommend that they subscribe. Our logo is designed by Jody Rick at the Lost Laboratory, featuring the art of our muse, Caravaggio. If you support the show, either through Patreon or PayPal, you will receive a handwritten thank you note in the mail and our logo on a magnet. It's just what your fridge or car bumper is missing. Listener support is vital to the continuation of this show. If listening has become a valued part of your week and you have the means, help us pay the bills by throwing a five or a 10 or a 20 in the hat, just as you would if you saw a street performer in Rome that you really love. You can find links to donate in the show notes or at thebittersweetlife.net. And my thanks to Drew Atkins for helping design the new website.